We're just glad that you're here today. You know, today is a celebration. And it's a celebration for more reason than one. It's a celebration because we are at church uh, in this building for the first time in 12 weeks. It's the first time we've run the air conditioners in here in over three months. So we're, that's, that's cause for celebration. Even though our power bill is going to go through the roof, we're good with it. But the other reason it's a celebration today is because today is Pentecost Sunday. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, Pentecost was that, uh, that event that happened in the second chapter of Acts that changed the world. And, uh, you know, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. It's, it's 50 days after Easter is when we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, and that is today. It's hard to believe it's already been seven weeks since Easter, but here we are. And uh, really, really excited to be with you this morning and uh, to celebrate this Pentecost Sunday. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand with me because I'm going to read my text verse for the morning. I want to jump right in because uh, I promised some people we'd try to get out of here, or not get out of here, but be, keep the service tight because we do have some kids in here too, and we're not, kids aren't used to sitting in big church as long as, as we are. So uh, we're going to do our best to, to uh, keep it to an hour or a little more. So, um, but the, the, my, my text verse for today is out of Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in the first chapter of Acts and get to the second chapter. But this is, this is set up where Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven, you know, he had, he had died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he was with the disciples for 40 days, and before he ascended back, he, uh, he gave the disciples this word. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everyone say the gift. That my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you know, ten days later, that's exactly what happened. After Jesus ascended back into heaven, ten days later, that Holy Spirit, he came to this earth. And, and the 120 followers that were in that upper room, he filled those 120 followers. And the world has never been the same since. You could say that they pioneered a new normal. And that's the title of my message today. It's a new normal. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you today. God, thank you so much that we can be together in person. I thank you for everyone that's here this morning and all those watching online. I ask, Lord, that you would just uh, have your way today during this time. God, let my words be your words. Jesus, we want to praise you and give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, the thanks, the credit. It all goes to you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in each one of our hearts. And I pray that your words would pierce our hearts today and do the work that it has set out to do. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, give somebody an awkward wave before you sit down. We're getting good at those, aren't we? So you've heard the term a new normal probably a lot lately, right? We hear a new normal all over the place. In fact, there's so many new normals, I'm having a hard time keeping up with all of them. You know, we... We t- you see the, the social distancing, the masks. You know, we, we agonized over whether or not to, for the staff to wear masks today. And we finally decided we would want to err on the side of just being safe and, and showing people that we love them by wearing these masks. So we did that. And um, that's kind of a new normal you're seeing in stores when you go out, in some cases. Some places you don't see them. But there's, there's so many new normals that we're experiencing uh, in our society, even in church. You know, the social distancing, the, you know, I mean, who would have thought... Six months ago, we'd be up here talking about saying hi to somebody by kicking their feet, you know? Those things were never even thought of until, until now. So there's a, there's a lot of new normals. Um, in fact, some people are saying that uh, we will never hug or shake hands again in public. And uh, to that, I would say those people better never come into a church in the South. 
Egypt, all right? Because they will not be happy with what they see. Um, now we're, you know, we're, we're abiding by this new normal temporarily, but I believe that uh, we're going to have a new new normal, and it's going to be better than the old normal. It's going to be better than it's ever been. And uh, we're believing the Holy Spirit to do that, and then he's who we're talking about today. Because, you know, God gave the church a new normal 2,000 years ago. When Jesus rose from the dead and he, he uh, spent time with his disciples, then he ascended back into heaven. And then the, the 120 followers went into the upper room. Jesus said, wait here for this gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did. And this Holy Spirit came and he filled all of their hearts and created a brand new normal for us that we are still experiencing today. You know, up until that moment, if you want to know God's heart, if you wanted to know what God was saying, you had to go to the prophet or the priest. They were the ones that had access to God, right? And we didn't have that personal relationship with him. We had, to, we had to have those select few that could actually hear from God and talk to God, and we would get God's instruction or his heart from them. And, but when that day of Pentecost came, Jesus said, from now on, you don't have to do that. From now on, you have access to my heart. You have access to what I want to say. You have access to what I want to do in your life because I'm going to put my heart in you by my Holy Spirit. And that's what he did for all who would receive. It's for everyone that would want to receive the Holy Spirit to fill them. He says, the old is gone and the new has come. He said, I'm going to show you a new way, a better way than the Old Testament. And I'm so thankful that we live in that day today. And, you know, we need him now more than ever, don't we? In fact, let me rephrase that. We don't need him now more than ever. We always need him as much as we always need him. But we recognize our need for him now more than ever. It is, it is quite a time we are living in. It, we have this pandemic, this, this everything that comes with that, that we're dealing with in our society, in our world today. And we need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to come in power and move in his people, to help us to get through this time so the church can lead through this time that we're in. And if that wasn't enough, then this week we're adding a whole nother crisis that has actually almost seemed to put this COVID-19 on the back burner, hasn't it? And I gotta tell you, when I saw the video of uh, George Floyd, uh, it was the most despicable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I have never seen, I cannot believe another human, especially an officer of the law could treat someone like that. And it broke my heart when I saw it, as I'm sure it did all of yours. I, I, I always, I like to watch edgy videos, you know, I'm just kind of that, I don't know, that's the guy in me, I guess. I watched this one time and that's it. I, could, I don't ever want to see it again. And it's, it has broken my heart. And the response to that and the riots that we're experiencing over these last few days have also broken my heart. And it should break all of our hearts. And you know, when I see things like this, I see it, it can easily feel like it's hopeless. You know, like, what are we going to do? The racial tension in our country is escalating and, and there's people that are hurting and there's brokenness and there's anger and there's bitterness. And I see all these things, and, and it's easy to feel like it's just hopeless. But you know what? It's not. Because the church actually has the answer. We have the answer as the church. We are called to lead in times of crisis. Not by trying to convince everybody that we're right, but by loving and by praying and by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to be these agents that would help bring healing in this situation. And no matter what you feel about what's happening, what we know is that the times are very difficult. And that there is a lots and lots of pain and hurting. And there's, there's evil out there that is affecting many, many millions of people right now. And we as a church have got to call on God 
to, and help and to lead in this time to be the voice for Jesus. He has put his spirit in us so that we could go into the world and make a difference. That's why he sent his spirit to us. Not just so we could have the Holy Spirit, so we could dance around and talk about how great we are and how much we love having the Holy Spirit and we like to see his presence in our life. It's not just about that. It's so that we could go out and affect the world. In fact, if it wasn't for that today, nothing would be different than it was three, 4,000 years ago. Because when the Holy Spirit came, he came to change us and to change the world. And so I want to, I want us to unpack Pentecost a little bit today, okay? And I want, I want to talk to you about what that means for us in our lives today. First of all, what we have to understand, what we have to remember is that the Holy Spirit coming to this earth was good. It was actually really, really good. You know, we can think, if you grew up in Pentecostal culture especially, you can think, you know, some people talk about the Holy Spirit and think that it's weird, that he's weird, that he's kind of goofy, that he makes people do weird things, and, and we can't really, you know, I've heard people describe him as the crazy uncle, the uncle that comes, that crazy uncle that comes to Christmas, and you love him, but you would never introduce him to your friends, right? You've heard that said about the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. He's not that at all. He is beautiful. He is the greatest person that's ever been on this earth because he is the spirit of Jesus living on this earth in you and me. He is Jesus's heart in us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. We're the ones that have made him weird. He's not weird at all. He is the one that brings change and gives life to us in this world. And we should be embracing that. He's, it is a very good thing that he came. And you know, Jesus even said as he was talking to his disciples one day, and, you know, he was hanging out with the disciples, and I'm sure they, and they knew that we had, they had the Messiah with them. The di- disciples had some revelation of that, had some understanding, and they didn't want him to leave ever. As you can imagine, if you were one of those 12, you would have thought, man, I don't want Jesus to ever go anywhere. That's why when he said he was, had to be crucified, they rebuked him because they wanted him to stay with them because they saw the great things he was doing, the miracles he was doing, and they didn't want him to leave. But look what Jesus said in John 16 and 7. He says, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. They didn't want him to leave, but he knew he needed to because when it was just him and the 12 disciples, they could only do so much. 12 people can only do so much. But Jesus says, if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be able to live in the hearts of people. And I can invade hearts all over the world. And I'm going to spread out this this power, this love that the Holy Spirit gives us. See, when God's power spreads out, it doesn't dilute. It actually gets stronger. You know, when we spread things out, it kind of gets diluted. But when he spreads out, it gets stronger because he's just as strong in me as he is in someone over in Asia or someone in Australia or someone in South America. It's the same Holy Spirit moving in our hearts. So he wants to spread out because he becomes stronger in us and he can change this world and draw people to him and expand God's kingdom on this earth. So it's a good thing. And this is where the church first started was when that Holy Spirit came that day. That was Peter went out and preached to the, to the multitudes out there. That was the very first church service. In fact, let me, let me show you in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get to chapter 2 now, the first four verses. Look what it says here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That was the beginning of the church. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that word wind there, was, it was, a, it was a, uh, uh, like a strong, violent wind that came in. That word wind in the Hebrew and Greek is the same word for breath. That really changes it. It was the breath of God coming in to fill those people in that upper room. He is the very breath for us. You could make the argument that tell you that spirit lives in you, that you are a dead man walking. Because without him, we can't do anything. He is the breath. He is the air we breathe. He is, our, he is what we live and move and have our being in him. That's the same word that's used in Ezekiel 37, where God tells Ezekiel to talk to the dry bones and tell them to rise up. We just sang about that. You turn bones into armies. It's that breath of God. It's that Holy Spirit of God moving that gives us life. We cannot even live without him. This is a powerful moment in history that we are still experiencing today. But, you know, experiencing Pentecost isn't just a one-time thing. Some of you in here may be able to point back to the time that you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful thing. But that's not the end of it. And it doesn't mean from that moment on you're just good to go and you can... You know, you're just going to ride the wave. In fact, in Acts 13, it talks about the disciples were continually filled with the Spirit. We have to continually be filled. I would go as far as to say we got to daily be filled with the Spirit. Because I got baptized in the Holy Spirit too. But it doesn't make all the fleshly desires go away. It doesn't make me just all of a sudden a perfect human that gets to go around telling everybody how great I am and loving everybody perfectly. My flesh, I have to crucify it daily. That's what the Bible tells us, right? So we have to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to I talk to you today about sowing for your own personal Pentecost because I believe very wholeheartedly in sowing and reaping. The Bible talks about it consistently. And even in experiencing the, the baptism, the filling, the Spirit-filled life, I believe there's some sowing and reaping in that. And this is not about legalism of trying to come up with a formula to get the Holy Spirit to fill you continually. But there are principles we see in the Word, even in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to use these to talk to us about sowing for our own personal Pentecost. And the first one, I'm just going to give you two. The first one is unity. Let me say, I don't think unity takes a backseat to anything in the Christian life. And we have to make it a priority in our life with God and with others. Unity is huge, and you will see it peppered all through Acts with the early church and the disciples. In fact, the very first verse of Acts chapter 2 that I already read, I'm going to read just that verse again. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord means unified. They weren't just together in a room unified. They were unified in their hearts. They were in one place. They were together unified. And you know, it's not a coincidence that the first verse of chapter 2 says that, because I believe everything else is predicated on that. Everything. If there was not unity, there would, the Holy Spirit would have just waited to come until they were unified. He would have just sat there and waited. And how many of us is he doing that in our life? He's waiting to come do his work in your heart until you're determined and purposed in your heart that you're going to be unified with him and with others. And see, unity is much more than just being nice. It's not just being nice. Unity is about sacrifice. You know, if I truly want to be unified with my wife, it requires sacrifice. We can't just be nice to each other. You know, if she's always getting her way or I'm always getting my way, one of us is, is doing all the sacrificing. It doesn't bring unity. If we want true unity, there's a give and take. And just like it is in marriage, it's the same way in relationship, and it is the same way in our Christian faith. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit in our life. 
He wants us to be unified. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47. This is after that first church service where Peter preached the message, and we're going into the future a little bit here with the church, but still in chapter 2. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's unity. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So that tells you what they were doing. Now look what God did. And the Lord added. Everybody say, the Lord added. To their number daily those who were being saved. I could stop right here and we've had church. This, this passage here will preach for weeks just by itself. He added daily. Don't think for a second that the reason he added daily wasn't because of those first two verses where they had everything in common. They were selling their possessions to make sure everybody had what they needed. They were completely unified. They were sacrificing for each other. That's what brings true unity in our lives and in the body. Is it possible that the reason we are not seeing growth in the church, and I'm not talking about new hope, I'm talking about the church. Is it possible that the reason we're not seeing is because the world sees that we are not unified? The world sees that we are too busy about building our brand, or we're too busy building our denomination, or we're too busy trying to get ours, than we are really about being the church and being unified together under that one umbrella of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a very rhetorical question because I believe with all my heart that's one of the biggest plagues in the church is the lack of unity. And if we will elevate unity, God will do an amazing work in our personal lives and corporately in the church. But it has to be a priority in our life. Unity does not just happen on its own by being nice. Unity requires forethought, being intentional, and making sacrifices. Because here's the thing, church. The Holy Spirit, by his very nature, is unifying. He is unifier. That's what he does. He comes to draw people together, to draw us to Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what he does. All the other stuff is stuff that we've added to it. But his heart is that we would be unified. And if you say you are filled with the Spirit, then there should be a very strong desire in you for unity. If, if unity is something, when you hear, like you're hearing me talk about it right now, you're thinking, eh, it's not that big a deal, then you are not allowing the spirit to move through you. I mean, I'm not here to browbeat, but I'm telling you, unity will always come as a fruit of the spirit in our life. Always, always, always. And disunity will break your heart. It will break your heart. You know what we're seeing today out in, out in all these cities around the United States, that is nothing but disunity and it should break your heart. And if it just causes you to get angry and want to elevate yourself and think of how right you are and how these people that are doing whatever, whatever side you're on, and you're thinking they're just wrong and somebody just needs to jerk a knot in them, and the disunity doesn't devastate you and break your heart, then you have deceived yourself if you think the Spirit of God is moving through you. I'm sorry, I know this is a hard word, but I am passionate about this because we have stopped the Spirit of God moving through us and through into this world because we're not concerned enough about unity. We're too concerned about being right and being smarter and, and knowing more than the other people when in reality God wants us to work together. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have differing opinions, but it's not about being right. It's about, like, if, if every time I fight with, fight with my wife, we don't fight, we passionately talk. <laughs> every time we disagree, all I cared about was being right. How would that go? It would not go well. Yeah, she said, not good. 
It's not about being right. We know that in marriage and in relationships, but for some reason, when it comes to religious thoughts or ideas or, or doctrine or philosophy, it's, it's so important that we're right rather than try to come get to the other person's level and understand what they're dealing with and trying to be an agent that would help bring healing in a situation. And we have to be that, church. We have to be that. Because the Holy Spirit's sitting back waiting for us to do it. You can pray all day, God, come do your work. Do your work, Lord. He's saying, I want some unity. I want you guys to be willing to, have the, to, to, to humble yourself to the point that you're willing to not have to be right, but to be able to do whatever I ask you to do. That's what he wants for each one of us. And God forbid that we would be sowers of dissension or argumentative or combative as believers. God forbid that we would do that, church. That is the opposite of God's heart for us. We can, we can disagree and not have to be combative or argumentative or sowing dissension in the church or anywhere for that matter. Politically, socially, inside the church, wherever it is, we need to be agents of peace and unity. All right, so I'm going to move on to the next one because it's, I'm just as passionate about it. And it is the fact that if we want to sow for a personal Pentecost in our life, it's all about our heart. It's all about the heart. Our hearts have to be set on him and on him alone. The, 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 the followers in the upper room, it says they were praising God. They were seeking him. It was about him, not about them getting what they needed, but it was about him. You know, the Bible talks a lot about our hearts being soil. You know, Jesus talked about it. He said when the word is sown, it'll fall on five, one of five different kinds of soil. That's the heart. And, he, and the importance of having a heart with good soil that would receive the word and produce fruit in our life. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit filling us and living in us. You know, when we built our house, uh, it's been 14 years ago now, we built our house, and you know, our neighborhood makes you put a specific tree in each house on a certain street, and we had to have this certain type of oak tree. And so when I was talking to my landscaper about putting this oak tree in, he said, you know, if you'll bring in a couple loads of topsoil, he said, I promise you, you will not regret it. And topsoil costs money, and it's actually very expensive if you want really good topsoil, but he talked me into it, and I finally did it. And we planted this tree, and my family, it's a joke for us because I brag about it and I love it all the time. I make comments about it, but I got the prettiest stinking tree on my street. And it's all because of the good soil that we brought in to let that tree grow. That tree's thick and full and leaves all over it. It's a beautiful, beautiful tree. It's because of the soil. And if we want to see fruit in our life, it's important that we have good soil too. You know, I've been praying for our church ever since I've been here for 20 years. But my prayer life for this church has really ramped up over the last couple months for obvious reasons. And uh, I remember a month or so ago, I was here in the sanctuary early morning one day, and I was just walking through your praying, and I was praying. I said, God, I just want to see your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, come. Let your manifest power be in this room when we have church. Let, bring healings. I want to see physical healings, people delivered set free, chains broken off of people. I want to see all kinds of miracles. I want to see your power manifested in this place. And I mean, I was feeling it and I was feeling good about myself and how I was praying. And you know what? The Lord rebuked me. And uh, he said, son, you are praying wrong. And I said, I, I wanted to argue with him, but you know, you never win an argument with the Lord. And so I, I let him kind of speak to my heart and he showed me, he said, he, he showed me the children of Israel you know, when they were enslaved in Egypt, God delivered them out of Egypt with all these miracles, had them in the wilderness for 40 years, supplied everything they needed during those 40 years, saw all kinds of miracles, manna, 
food, you know, on the ground every morning for him, water from a rock, pillar of fire guiding him by night, a cloud by day, Moses going up on the mountain, giving him the Ten Commandments, coming down, the glory shines so bright on Moses they couldn't even look at him. You know, he, they, he brought him out of Egypt with all these plagues on Egypt, but nobody in Israel suffered from any of the plagues. Uh, the, part of the Red Sea, I mean, just on and on and on and on, they saw the manifest power of God, right? Yet what does God say about the children of Israel? They were stiff-necked and hard-hearted. They did not even receive what he was doing because they were so focused on themselves, their hearts were hard. And God convicted me, and he said, listen, son, don't pray for my presence to come. You need to start praying for the hearts of the people that will come in this room that will come into this building. You pray for their hearts, that their hearts would be good soil. You pray that their hearts would be softened, that their hearts would seek me for me, not for what they can get out of it. And he said, son, I'm telling you, if you will do this, you don't have to pray for my presence because it'll come. It'll come in power. God cares about our hearts. You know, when, when it was time to anoint David the king, God said, don't look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And because of his heart, David was chosen among his brothers, and David was the least likely candidate, but it was because of his heart. That's how God works. He says that David was a man after his own heart. And I'm telling you, church, the Holy Spirit is for those of us that know that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of a Savior. That's who he's for. He's coming for those people that can see their heart, that our heart is wretched, you know, everybody in the Bible that you see, all the characters in the Bible, the closer they got to God, the more you see them saying how wretched and despicable they were. Because that's what happens to us. When we get closer to him, we realize, wow, God, man, I, am, I, am, I don't deserve you. And that's what God wants. That's what God says, good. Now I can come and do my work in you. We have to have hearts that are open and ready for him. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. After Peter preached... It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's what God wants, church. Just saying, what can I do, God? What can I do? His words cut to our heart. We have to have a heart that's ready for our own personal Pentecost. So if we experience Pentecost in our life, we, we experience the filling of, the, of, our, of our lives with the Holy Spirit, then what do we reap from that? What does it mean to live a life a spirit-filled life. I want to give you a few things really quickly. First of all, we receive power. The Holy Spirit is all about power. He's the power to heal emotionally, physically, spiritually. He is the one that works those miracles. He wants to do those miracles. And let me be clear, when he rebuked me for praying that, it wasn't because he doesn't want to do that. It's because I just got the cart before the horse. He wants to do the miracles, but he wants to do them in the hearts of people that are ready. So he is all about power, to break demonic oppression in our life, to set us free, to break addictions in our life, to break sins in our life that have held us captive for so long. That's who he is, and that's what he does in our hearts when, he, when we are filled with him. But you know what else he does? He gives us power to be his witnesses. This is one we miss sometimes, isn't it? Even though Jesus was very clear to say it. In fact, in Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to Augusta, to Grovetown, to Evans, to North Augusta, to Aiken, all over the place, and to the ends of the earth. And you know, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming, he didn't say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come 
and fill you so that you guys can do church better than anybody else. I'm going to do it so you guys can talk about how everybody else doesn't do it just quite as good as you do. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to come so you can be my witnesses. I'm going to come so that people will see that I am in you and they will want what you have. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. Why do you think it's to be his witnesses? Because I believe that's a high, high, high priority for God, for each one of us as his children, is that we would help to, sh to spread his kingdom on this earth. That people would come to a knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit's design is to elevate Jesus, to draw people to Jesus, to remind us of the scriptures, to draw us to Jesus. That's why he wants us to be his witnesses. I know for me, everything changed when I got filled with the Spirit. Everything changed. I went from putting up with people to loving people. I went from trying to be a good person to just letting Jesus live through me and flow out of me. It just changed everything. My, my motivation, my perspective, everything changed because he was in me. It gave me the power to live for them, for him. Peter's a great example of that. You know, he preached to 3,000. 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. And just weeks earlier, he was cowering in the corner, begging people to stop asking him if he was with Jesus. And he started calling curses down on himself. And in just a matter of a few weeks, it wasn't because of those few weeks, it was because of the Holy Spirit filling him that now he had this boldness to be Jesus' witness. And 3,000 people got saved. And it wasn't because he was a great orator, it was because the people saw the Spirit of God in Peter's eyes when he preached the word, and it cut to their hearts. So we have the power to be his witnesses. Secondly, we have purity. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will always breed purity in our life. The fleshly desires, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, the fleshly desires become less and less and less. And we grow in that, church. Like the, the longer I live continually filled with the Spirit, the more the fleshly desires tend to not have as much control over me. I watch less and less TV. I care less and less about sports and money and all these other things. Not that those things are bad, but man, I just, I get more and more consumed with just wanting him. And that's what happens in our life. He brings, he draws us to a place of greater purity. Again, not a religious thing, not a works thing, but a thing of just a response to his spirit in us. It changes us from the inside out. You know, when in, in that first passage I read in, in the beginning of Acts 2, it talks about tongues of fire splitting and settling on each one of them. You know, that's a very odd picture for us to think about a, a tongue in the shape of a fire just settling on someone and filling them with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I've often wondered, what does, that, what does that represent? What does it symbolize? Well, I believe one of the biggest things it represents is that fire represents purity. Fire is a purifier. You, talk, you heard about refiner's fire? You know, you want to refine gold, you put it in fire. Fire refines us and purifies us. That's why those tongues were a fire. It's the same thing as Isaiah. When he was commissioned in Isaiah 6, it says that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw what it looked like with God in the temple with the angels around him. And he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord Almighty. He said, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And you know what it says there. The seraph, one of the seraphs came and took a, a hot coal, a fire coal from the altar, touched his lips with it and said, you are pure. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. And from there is when he said, Go. Go. He was commissioned to go be the prophet for God. Fire purifies us. The Holy Spirit filling us draws us to a greater place of purity in our life. And then finally, 
it brings passion in our life, a passion for him. You know, the best definition I ever heard of passion was it's what you're willing to suffer for. I don't know if that's a technical definition or not, but it, it really, it, it speaks to the heart of what passion is. You know, you've heard people say, if you want to know what you're passionate about, look at your checkbook. Well, we don't have checkbooks anymore. Look at your online account and see where all your money's going. That'll tell you what you're passionate about because that's what you're willing to suffer for. You're willing to let things suffer because of things that you really care about and are really bold, are really passionate about in your life. And I, I'm going to make a, another strong statement but you know, the Holy Spirit in us, if we're filled with his spirit, it will always draw us to have a passion for him and to be willing to suffer for him. I'm not making that up, this is scriptural. And so if there is no desire in us to suffer for Jesus, to be willing to do whatever, and I'm not talking about getting beaten or anything like that, I'm talking about financially, relationally, career, geographically, whatever it is, if we're not willing to suffer for the cause of Jesus in our life, then we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us. We're just not, because you, you cannot look at the scriptures and see what the Holy Spirit filling of people in the New Testament did and say that there was not a willingness to suffer. And I'm not saying we should go look for suffering, but there has to be a willingness that, for us to be willing to say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, Jesus. If it brings glory to you for me to suffer, you know, when uh, um, a couple of the disciples were beaten in Acts, they were taken into the Sanhedrin and beaten within an inch of their life, and it says when they left the Sanhedrin, they were rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. That's two guys that were spirit-filled. Because they were rejoicing in the fact that they were willing to suffer, or they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We cannot spend our life creating comfort zones for us and nice big pillows for us to soften every blow in life and think that we're allowing this, the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us because it changes our motivation. You know, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We were his passion, and he expects us to be passionate about him. And that's what his spirit does in our lives. That's kind of a litmus for us. You know, all the apostles, the early apostles, the 12 and Paul, were all martyred except for John. And they tried to martyr John, they boiled him in a big vat of oil and he wouldn't die, so they, they uh, sent him off to the island of Patmos to write the book of Revelation. And he stayed over there for a while. But all the rest of them were martyred. And you know, when you hear people preaching, you know, oh, if you just give your heart to Jesus and if you get the Holy Spirit, if you get filled with the Spirit, man, life's gonna be, ooh, it's gonna be great. You know, you're gonna walk around praying in tongues and God's just gonna move heaven and earth for you all the time. Well, when I see all these guys, they were all filled with the Spirit. And I'm just gonna read to you some of them. Okay? Matthew was, was martyred with a sword in Ethiopia. Uh, Mark was drugged by horses through the streets of Egypt until he was dead. Uh, Luke was hanged in Greece for his faith. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, James was thrown from the top of the temple about 100 feet down. He didn't die, so they ran down and beat him to death with clubs, all the while he was praying for them while they were beating him to death. Uh, Bartholomew, he was flayed to death by a whip in Turkey. Uh, Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Uh, Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Paul was tortured and beheaded in Rome, and it just goes on and on and on. These were all guys that were spirit-filled, and I promise you, every one of them was considering themselves blessed to be worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. And if we are letting him live in us, we will be passionate about him above all else. It doesn't mean we can't live our life, but our passion, our first passion is him, his glory, his name being magnified, his kingdom coming, his will being done, Period.
Amen? That's what it means to be Holy Spirit-filled. All right, well, my time's up, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. I'm even a little bit past, and the kids are doing so good. Way to go, kids. <laughs> I just want to encourage you this morning or this afternoon now that we receive the Holy Spirit in our life the same way we receive salvation. We receive it by faith. And, you know, we'd love for us to be able to have an altar time where you can come up, we can lay hands on you and pray for that filling or that refilling or the continual filling in your life. We can't do an altar call like that because that would violate the, uh, you know, the standards we have right now. But you know what? You don't have to be at an altar. You can receive it in your, in your seat because we receive it by faith. The altar here is, is, is uh, more of a, um, it's, it's got power coming up front and, and, and uh, responding to something. But this isn't, this isn't where the power is. The power is in the Holy Spirit in us. So you can receive it today. So I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray. I, pr I just ask you to prepare your hearts that you would receive what the Lord has for you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you for your sending your spirit 2,000 years ago. When before that, it was only available for a certain select few. Today, it's free for all. It's free for every one of us that would come and receive. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to want unity in our life and that we would want, that, that our hearts would be all about you. God, I pray that you would reveal any selfish motives we have in our life for wanting your spirit to fill us. Reveal them to us, Lord. Help us to see it so we can repent and we can turn from those selfish motives, Lord, because we want your spirit so that we can be your witnesses, so that we can honor you, so that we can live for you in a greater measure, a greater capacity, and, and God, that we can change the world. We thank you that those 120 that got filled that day, they changed the world, and it has never been the same since. Thank you for the new normal. And God, I pray today that you would fill those that need it today, God, that you would fill each and every one of us with your spirit. Baptize us in your spirit today to overflowing God. Baptize us in your spirit that the old would be gone and the new would come. And Lord, for those of us that would say, well, I've, I received the Holy Spirit years ago, and, but it's just the, the flame is, is almost snuffed out. God, I pray you would fan that flame this morning, that you would fan the flame in our life, Lord, that you would continually fill us with your spirit, overflowing God. For those that need a refreshing of your spirit, Father, would you just pour your spirit into us and it would manifest in our lives in a way that would bring glory to you, Lord. We want to glorify you with our lives. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for considering us worthy to be carriers of your spirit. God, we give you all the praise and the glory. We receive it by faith today. We seal it by your Holy Spirit in our hearts that your work that you're doing will not be plucked out by the enemy, but it is sealed in Jesus' name. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everyone in the house said, amen. 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 God bless you.